You are listening to IESL Student Podcast, featuring a wide range of conversations on diverse engineering and non-engineering sectors of national importance. I am Engineer Chamil Edirumuni, and today, for our ninth podcast, we have a special guest. Apart from being a fellow of the IESL, he is also a fellow of the IET and the IMEKI of the UK. He is the chairman of the KIK group of companies. One of his companies manufactures and exports modular electrical encoders systems and electrical switch assemblies to many countries in the world. He is the receiver of the title Sri Lanka Entrepreneur of the Year in 2004. Let us warmly welcome engineer Lalit Kahatapitiya for today's discussion. Thank you very much for inviting me for this discussion and it's a pleasure. You are the founder of an innovative engineering group of companies manufacturing and exporting modular electrical enclosures and electrical switch gear assemblies. Of course, we love to hear your success story. We know that a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Thomas Alva Edison made thousand non-successful attempts at inventing the light bulb. You may also have several failure stories too, down in the line in your journey. If you don't mind, could you please share about your path to success? Well, if I'm going to tell you about the failures, we will not be able to finish everything in this discussion because <laughs> the failures are so much. From the childhood, I, I had this crazy idea of doing various things on my own. Even when I was going to school, there was a scarcity of watercolors in the market. And school boys and girls could not find watercolors. I was in a little uh, higher grade. And um, I was thinking what I can do. Finally, I managed to produce watercolors. I found out how to do watercolors, went to various libraries, referred to books, and found how to make watercolors and made watercolors, but not in those fancy metal boxes, made some cardboard boxes, bought all the items from Pita, uh, made the watercolors, put it into cardboard boxes with the brushes and everything, made a nice presentation of watercolors. And that was marketed in uh, our school and the schools close by until the, the imported watercolors came into the country. So that really served the purpose at the time that people could not find watercolors. Not only that, my father was a lawyer in Kalutara. Sometimes he also goes in and tries various gemming and gem mining, all those things. I also joined him in those endeavors. We did gem mining, we did gem buying and selling. Then I tried some agriculture on my own, made uh, incubators for uh, poultry farms, things like that I tried. But nothing was focused. When I saw some requirement, yes, I just kept on doing it. I can remember uh, even after becoming an engineer. One day I was having a chat with my father-in-law and I think we were talking about washing clothes. Those days we used to put some blue powder, especially for the white shirts to get the real color, the, the bright color. When you wash it, sometimes you get various uh, spots highlighted because it doesn't dissolve properly. So 
so that gave me an idea and then immediately i started looking at the possibilities of making liquid blue with that intention i managed to get in touch with some japanese companies and then we developed a blue which is suitable for clothes and then we started uh, i started marketing that so like that there are lots of things but then nothing really came up uh, finally i would say all of those are failures but i realized why those things failed we know that uh, you are a strong believer on self confidence and consistent desire to achieve results uh, continuous focus on the well thought out vision with a fair understanding on the risks and opportunities is the key for the entrepreneurial success how do you face these challenges in your life as an uh, engineering entrepreneur i would say a clear vision confidence persistence and all those things are essential characteristics for any entrepreneur entrepreneur will not be able to survive without uh, having a clear vision or confidence or persist anyone who lacks those will end up as a failure so those are essential things uh, especially when it comes to engineering entrepreneurs i think we need to add another thing which is innovativeness which plays a huge role as an entrepreneur and uh, as an engineer as well because being engineers we are trained to look at things and then solve various things there various issues or whatever you call it so with that intention in mind when you look at various problems then you can see really different things different ways of solving problems i can remember when i was working in the port uh, as a special apprentice in uh, engineering i was put into all the workshops during the time i was in the foundry at that time the port cargo foundry only had sand casting there nothing else there was one particular item which was needed for their trolleys they needed those items in bulk but everything was done by sand casting so i also get used to get uh, together with the people in the foundry and uh, we used to compact the sand boxes and then put molds and compact the sand boxes take it out and make the molds and then pour metal into those cavities and that's how we did the sand casting but then they couldn't meet the demand the demand was so big it's a very time consuming thing then the port authority decided to give it to some outside company as a contract then i started thinking can't we do this in a different way and then i was only a special apprentice i was not even an engineer at that time then i have just started studying about the behavior of metal and i had to go to various libraries like the british council find books and then look at how die casting is done how can i make a die to the you know, the required dies to make this casting so fortunately i managed to find the books i studied and then after i was confident enough that i can do it i went to the chief engineers there and said sir can i try die casting because the quantities are huge and then you all are trying to give it to others then he said okay and which i tried of course uh, we uh, i did the machining part also then some people also joined me and it was very successful and that was the beginning of the die casting in the colombo port as a special apprentice i managed to do it and that's the innovativeness so from that time onwards uh, i came across a requirement the ceylon railway uh, 
cabbages, the cabbage repair section was looking for cabbage bowls, which are not available in the country. So one of the engineers asked me, can you supply these? So I quickly managed to find a way of making carriage bowls. It's a very simple thing. I just bought hexagonal head nuts and bowls and then put it into a die and then forged it and made carriage bowls out of it. So supplied carriage bowls to the railway. And those were like a little bit of entrepreneur work I did. Then uh, there were another areas where uh, Jim Lapidary owner was asking whether I can supply the parts required to him which of course I found out how to do it and then that was supplied. So like that, it's all thinking out of the box and thinking like an engineer, uh, you can do quite a lot of things as an engineering entrepreneur. That's of course anybody can do, not only myself. Very interesting, sir. So we know that uh, we are a nation that earns our main foreign incomes thanks to three categories of ladies. The housemaids working in the Middle East, ladies working in the garment and apparel sector, and thirdly, the ladies who pluck tea leaves in the hill country. However, within last three decades, many other industries which earn a substantial foreign income have popped up quite successfully. That is a very progressive shift. Your organization is one of those high-tech industries targeting overseas market. How would you assess the importance of having a national level uh, drive uh, towards the manufacturing sector, especially for the products with high value addition? That's an essential thing, I would say. Actually, although it is non-existence right now, this is something really essential, especially at a time like this. We, as you correctly said, Sri Lankans, have been sending most of our valuable people, the labor force, to work for other countries and then make the other countries better. All the governments so far had been opting to becoming a manual labor supplier to the world because we are getting somewhere close to 10 billion or 9 billion dollars a year and everybody thinks that's the way that we need to make money and then we keep on promoting exporting of our people instead of making products or whatever. So uh, as far as I know, I think I have not heard of any uh, foreign employment development bureaus existing in other countries, but we do that. We encourage our people to go, but we don't get work from them. You don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be an economist to un understand this logic. I'll tell you, find out the GDP of the country any year. Maybe in 2019 or 18 or 17 you know, or whatever the figures available. Find out the GDP that you can do by yourself. Divide that by the effective workforce. Then you will find out how much each person contributed to the development of the country, the producing of the GDP of Sri Lanka. It's a very simple calculation. GDP divided by the workforce. Again, compare the foreign remittances that comes to Sri Lanka for under, divide that by the migrant workforce. All these figures are available in the internet. You are going to divide the foreign remittances by the migrant worker. Then you find how much one migrant worker is contributing to the development of this country. And you will be surprised to note that a person working in Sri Lanka contributes between two to three times. So instead of Developing our own GDP by using our workforce, we are 
encouraging our people to go out. That's a completely another blunder which all the governments had been doing. If the government's job is not to create uh, enterprises, but to make a conducive environment where industries will pop up, when the environment is conducive for the industries to come, it will naturally come. People will start industries. But if you block them, if you block the conduciveness or make it really a harassment for people to start something and market their products, then nothing will come up in the, in the country. Now, if the soil is fertile, you can see various plants popping up in that soil. If the soil is not fertile, nothing will grow. So similarly, when the atmosphere is not conducive for industries to come up, this country will never develop because nobody will start industries. Even the industries that have started have to struggle to fight against the system for survival. And this is exactly what is happening right now. So government has a huge role to play. Facilitate the industries, make the environment con conducive, as you very correctly said, not to send our people to other countries, get everyone to contribute to the development of the country and then make the systems for that. Balance will happen automatically. To develop a nation, the due prominence should be given for the research and development activities. Anyway, we are a developing nation. One argument is that we have no funds in abundance to spend for such investments as a nation. As a founder of an organization carrying out extensive research and development work into different aspects, what is your view on this? Especially being an engineer and on top of that, being an engineering entrepreneur, what do you have to say? R&D plays a huge role in any industry, any, uh, any area, may it be agriculture, may it be industry, may it be IT. Everywhere R&D is a must, where the government can play a big role. But even if the government doesn't play a big role, as I told earlier, if the environment is made for industries to come, for an example, when I started small, I never had even capital. It was negligible capital I started with, that was in 1994. But we grew little by little, with a little bit of R&D that we were doing on our own. But when we really grew, then of course we could set up good R&D systems, R&D facilities, where we started looking into new areas, which ultimately enabled us to obtain many international patents for our systems, which we now market in the other countries. So all those things were developed in an area where things could happen. Unfortunately, we were inside the duty-free zone. That's one of the best uh, decisions I took to move into the BUI zone. When we were finding challenges in the outside, we thought, why not explore the export markets and then set up another factory in the free zone. So that's how we started there. So with that, we developed our own R&D. All what we need is a place for us to grow, the facilities for us to grow. When that happens, on the other hand, government also can do quite a lot of 
things with regard to R&D. It has to be done with a bigger dialogue with the industry, with the various trade secrets and then various um, technologies that some companies will not like to part with. Preferably, most companies will want to do their R&D within the organizations. So some R&D has to be done in the industries, but some of the common R&D, like medicines and all that, can easily be done in the government sector. So this both have to go in parallel. And uh, critical thing is the facilitation has to be there. Yes. Uh, thank you for that thought out answer, sir. Um, and my next question. Apart from your busy corporate schedules, we have seen that you are a very much involved and vocal on the national interest. Either it may be on pre-trade agreements or a matter related to the ownership of national assets or any other controversial treaties with powerful countries, sir, you raised your voice for the country. Normally, entrepreneurs are not stepping out of their business territories to express their opinion publicly on national interest. As, as that may sometimes affect their business progressions uh, due to the political climate in the country. In such a situation, what makes you to come forward for the national interest? Well, uh, see, I believe that all of us are just caretakers of this nation, of our national heritage, which we inherited from the previous people. For us, the duty is to improve it and pass it on to the future generations. So this country still remains an underdeveloped country. Why? Because of various blunders and wrong decisions made by the people who really looked after this country, maybe the leaders or the people. So as citizens of Sri Lanka, can we close our eyes and wait if our future generations are going to suffer the consequences of some silly decisions that some selfish individuals are going to make. For me, it's difficult. I just can't shut, shut my mouth and wait. So naturally, I express my ideas. I, I will shout and I will fight just to make sure, not for any financial gains, not for any other personal gains, but to make sure that we do our duty of preserving what we are now the caretakers for the next generations to take over and enjoy. I believe all of you will also agree with me that uh, it's we have a duty there. You are one of the very few engineering entrepreneurs uh, who developed an engineering industry from the scratch. Finally, what is your message to the young engineering fraternity on the way to success in entrepreneurship? or oh, in whatever field they are in. Entrepreneurship mainly depends on providing solutions to various circumstances or needs. So being engineers, we are trained to provide solutions. So if we are always be innovative or if we think in a different way, we engineers can come out with new innovations, inventions and to feel whatever the need. So it can be anything. We are trained to come out with different solutions. We are not just 
memorize something, but we are trained to come out with various new options, and that's engineering. So engineers have to naturally be good entrepreneurs as well. But there's another way of looking at it. All are not businessmen. I mean, generally, an entrepreneur is the word used for a businessman. When when somebody becomes an entrepreneur, he's taking a huge risk. When I became an entrepreneur, I I decided, okay, either I do it or I'll perish. Either I become successful or an utter failure. It's like do or die situation. I took that risk and then came out. But if you're working and comfortable in an organization, there's one, one other thing in every organization, it's so easy to make a culture of entrepreneurship. I would say the difference between an entrepreneur and an entrepreneur is an entrepreneur works within a group. An entrepreneur gets out of the group and goes on his way. But if now in our organizations, in all our companies, I am promoting entrepreneurship. The decision people to come out with their own ideas, experiment it, and then go ahead and then do these things. All those facilities are made so that people can make use of their own brains for the betterment of the entire group. And that everybody really enjoys. So this is a very simple thing, which I do not see happening in many organizations. Promote entrepreneurship. If it is not existing in my organizations, try to get, introduce it. Try to get people to come out with new things, especially if you're in a very senior position. You can do it in your department. Let the people come out with new ideas. Empower them. Let them make failures. I mean, they may fail sometimes, but that doesn't mean that we should be blaming them. We have to appreciate the attempt that they took and then encourage them to do it in a different way. So this I'm doing to the best of my ability in our organization. My advice to all the engineers is please promote entrepreneurship within your own department, within your own organizations, and see the difference that we can make. Engineers can do many wonders to this nation. If we, as a fraternity, really make use of our brain, put it into action, we can make a difference in Sri Lanka. Thanks. Thank you very much, Engineer Lalit Kahatavitiya for spending your valuable time to share timely insights based on your vast experience. We wish you all the success in your future endeavors. Wish we, I too wish you, IESL and the engineering fraternity as well, the very best. And for you all to get the opportunity to make this nation a much better nation and then leave a better country for the next generations to come. I think it's engineers, being engineers, you can do it. And I wish you all the strength and courage to do that task. Thank you, Engineer Lalit Khatapitiya, once again. Uh, this is Engineer Chamil Edirmuni from Sen Podcast. Have a great day.